Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this chapter presents us with a very difficult challenge. How do we look at the course, the span, and the seasons of our lives? In my younger days, I used to listen oftentimes to the country singer Paul Brandt. Maybe some of you have listened to his music. I've always had mixed feelings, as some of you know, about country music for reasons that don't need uh, explaining. But in general, Paul Brandt has been somewhat of an exception to uh, the, the often immorality and superficiality that, that you find in that genre. And one of the themes that always runs through this singer's uh, music uh, is this theme that uh, it comes back again and again, uh, the theme of seizing the moment, living in the day, making the most of the time that you have in this life because this life is short. Uh, one of his most famous songs, Risk, the song Risk, uh, says, I'd rather burn with desire, you know how this goes, deep in my soul, and love like a fire that's out of control, and laugh and dance and fall and chance and kiss, and live my whole life with a sense of abandon, squeeze every drop out, no matter what happens, and not wonder what I've missed. So it captures some of the theme that seems to run through, through this man's heart. Now, as you think about that, there's something, something right about that. Uh, what, what he's saying there, seize the day, seize the moments that God gives you. Take the opportunities that come your way. Rejoice in every moment. Don't waste your life. And here's the question I want to ask, is that the message of Ecclesiastes that we've been picking up so far? Is that what this book is all about? Now, there are many passages in Ecclesiastes that sound similar to that message. Listen again to verses 12 and 13 of, of chapter 3. He says, I perceive that there's nothing better for man than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Seize the moment. Uh, as the saying goes, carpe diem, take the day. Uh, and we see it again and again in, in this book. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9, verse 10. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Or Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. For, one, for, for a while, I don't know if young people still use the, the little slogan YOLO, if that still is in currency. It's short for, it's the acronym for you only live once, so YOLO. Uh, and it's a slogan for the, the same concept. Get out there, take risks, seize the day. A similar point. And so on a superficial level, at least, we seem to be seeing the same thing here in Ecclesiastes. He, too, is telling us, seize the day. Take life as it comes to you. But there's also a profound emptiness to that message, isn't there? At least to the message of YOLO. It's an emptiness that Ecclesiastes has actually been pointing out all along. Uh, all is vanity. All is missed. So you can tell me, you only live once, so seize the moment. But the preacher in Ecclesiastes is asking the question, why? Why should I seize the moment? If I only live once and then comes oblivion, what is there to gain by seizing the moment? You know, you can tell me, as Paul Brandt would, you have only one life to leave your legacy, so leave it while you can. But Solomon asks, why? Why should I do so? Uh, you, can, you, you can sing, I'd rather squeeze every drop out of this life and not wonder what I've missed. But again, Solomon asks, why? Uh, and is your fear of, of coming to that point where you wonder what you've missed 
is that too just a, a chasing after the wind? And actually even worse, if we've been paying attention, Solomon's been uh, telling us the sober truth that in the end, you will miss out. In the end, all of us are missing out. And once you chase your dreams down that road and you get to the end of that road, what Solomon discovered is uh, those things don't satisfy. Uh, All the time and energy we pour into those dreams, they don't satisfy the longing of our souls. You cannot squeeze every drop out of this life. And Solomon had it all, and he found out he was profoundly empty in the end. And so this has been leading me as I've been studying this book of Ecclesiastes to realize that Solomon is actually telling a very different message than Paul Brandt or YOLO. Uh, In fact, it seems he is telling us to stop trying to squeeze every drop out of this life because we cannot squeeze every drop out of it and instead to reorient our lives towards our Creator. And that's what I want to see with you in this chapter as well uh, as he teaches us this lesson. So the chapter begins with this this long list of the times that mark our lives, the seasons that that mark our human existence. Uh, You see there are 14 pairs of opposites. Uh, As one commentator puts it, there's 14 pluses and 14 minuses that in the end add up to nothing at all. And that's really precisely the point of this poem. It's a pretty well-known passage. By, uh, by some, it's even a well-loved passage because it does teach us that life has its seasons. You learn this as you grow older. Life has its seasons, and those seasons do come to an end. And so we find some comfort in the knowledge that God has given us these different seasons in our lives. And God has, as he says in verse 11, made everything beautiful in its time. That's why you often find this poem in Uh, paintings or or needlepoints hanging on on the walls. But we should recognize that when Solomon wrote this, he did not intend this poem to be an encouraging message, not by itself, nor a comforting message, but actually as he pondered this thing, uh, this truth, he found it to be a very disturbing message. Look at the conclusion that ends this poem in verse 9. After pondering the seasons of our lives, he says, What gain does the worker have from all his toil? That that verse often gets left out of the needlepoints and and the uh, paintings. Uh, But that's the whole point of the poem. Uh, There's a time to give birth, yay! But then there comes a time to die. And what you gained by giving birth, you lost by dying. There's a time to build. And so we, we spend our lives building, pouring ourselves into building whatever it is that we're determined to build. And then before we know it, almost too soon, the time comes to tear down whatever it is we've built uh, and then to spend our lives building something else. You know, this building is now out, obsolete, out of date, time to tear it down and build the next one. And by the time you're uh, old enough to enjoy that, the one you've built, uh, the, the next generation will be there tearing down that one to build a new one. There's a time to to embrace, he says, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to love, but then a time to hate, and and so on and so on it goes. And and his question is, what's the point of it all? What do you gain from it all? Uh, What what Solomon finds so disturbing then about these, these different seasons of our lives is that it seems that we are really no more than slaves to the seasons that God has given us. All we end up doing in our lives is following the seasons that God has placed us in. 
As much as we like to believe, we are in charge of our lives. We are building something for ourselves. We are headed in a direction, and we are in control of that direction. What Solomon realizes is, no, on the contrary, we are slaves to the seasons that God has put us in. And in the, in the end, it all seems to follow a cyclical pattern, not going anywhere as far as we can tell under the sun. And so the question that Solomon asks is not only appropriate, it's also very hard to answer. What gain is there from all of our toil under the sun? What advantage do we get for ourselves in in the end? And see, what we tend to believe is, is that we are in control of our lives and we are building something and getting somewhere. And that's what gives us the energy to pour ourselves into whatever we're doing, that belief that we're getting somewhere with, with what we're doing. What Solomon realizes is, no, uh, we're actually going in circles. We're, we're running around a cul-de-sac. We're not in control the way that we think we are. You didn't choose the day of your birth, and you won't choose the day of your death. And through the course of your life, you won't get to choose the seasons that God places you in. All you can do is respond appropriately to those seasons. And we can, we can try and resist that, but then uh, to try and live out, out of accordance with the seasons that you're in is, is like standing in December in flip-flops in the snow. Uh, you can try to be autonomous man, uh, resisting God's will, but, but all you'll do is look silly. Uh, men discover this when they go through their midlife crisis uh, and they, they suddenly realize they're no longer young and so they go and get a motorcycle and a, and a sports car and whatnot to, to believe that they're still young. But all they'll achieve is to look silly. You're not living in accordance with the season that God has put you in. And Solomon then finds that very disturbing. If all we can do is, is respond to the season we're in, uh, then we're not in control as we think we are. God is the one who gives us our seasons, and God is the one who also will bring them to an end and usher in the next season when he determines it's time. And so he says in verse 10, I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful. Uh, That word beautiful can also be translated fitting or appropriate. He's made everything fitting in its time. These seasons are given by God, and he will determine what comes after them and what is fitting within them. And there's really nothing that we can do to fight against that. And you say, is, is this just determinism? Is this just, is this just fate? Is that all there is to life? Well, no, that's not what Solomon's saying. He's not saying it's fate. He's saying it's God. It's you are forgetting the sovereign God who reigns over your life. God knows his purposes, but here's the key. You don't know his purposes. He knows what he's doing, but you don't know what he's doing. And see, as human beings, we long to understand the bigger picture. We want to know where's this going? What's it for? What Solomon realizes is that's information that you don't get to know. It's what he says in verse 10. He has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. We cannot find the key to unlock the mystery of our life, to make sense of where we're going and why, to predict and control the seasons that we're in. We can't manipulate life to get us what we want because it remains firmly within the grasp of God and out of our own grasp. 
So what do we do with this? Well, the conclusion comes then in verses 12 to 15. He says, I perceived that there's nothing better for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in his toil. This is God's gift to man. He goes on, he says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor taken from it. God has done it so that people would fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Here's the conclusion then. Solomon brings us before an absolutely sovereign God. And that's, that's, though we may confess that as, as Reformed people, it's a, it's a disturbing truth when you think about it, that God is absolutely sovereign. God's purposes cannot be changed. What he has decreed, that is what will be, and nothing can be added to it nor taken from it. God answers to no one. And he has subjected this world to a deep and unchangeable futility. That which is has been before. That which will be has already been. God has subjected this world to futility. And God has done this, you see at the end of verse 15. Why does God do this? God has done this so that people would fear before him. Now here, brothers and sisters, this is where the message of Ecclesiastes is actually radically different than the message of YOLO or the message of Paul Brandt. Uh, And it's so much more important. Those songs are saying, life is short, so get what you can out of it. What Solomon is saying is, no, life is, uh, you were made for eternity. And nothing but eternity is ever going to satisfy you. But in this life, that's the very thing that God has kept out of your grasp. You long for eternity, and God has kept it from you so that we as people would be taught to fear him. Because we look for our satisfaction in this life. And God says you won't find it here. It's out of your reach. God has done this so that we would stop and stand before our sovereign creator and see him as the giver of our lives. And when we do that, when we, when we stop chasing after the wind, trying to find out what's going to give us our fulfillment in this life, and we, we stop and reorient ourselves towards our Creator, then, the, then we will recognize that, that our lives, though they may be unpredictable, though they may be like a, a, a single thread that God is weaving in a tapestry that we don't get to see. All we see is the underside, the chaos, the mess uh, of which our lives is a part. But God sees, God sees what he's doing. When we recognize that and we give up control of our lives, then we can receive our lives as a gift from God that can actually be enjoyed. Then we can uh, trust he will make sense of them in his time in his way, and what he's given me to do is to follow him, to do good, as he says uh, in verse 12, to do good as long as I live, and to be joyful in the life that God has given. If the only thing that, that is driving us forward day by day is the belief that we're in control and we're building something for ourselves, Solomon's warning us here, you're going to be disappointed by that. If that's what gives you your joy in life, the belief that you're getting yourself somewhere uh, or, or obtaining something for yourself, you will be disappointed. But if you can stand before the sovereign God over your life and recognize he's making sense of this, he's charting the course here, 
then you can take your day, uh, your, your life one day at a time in his service. Again, if, if this life is all there is, as, as YOLO proclaims, then there's really no point to getting the most out of it. And even if you did, no matter how much you get, it will still never be enough. And, and, and then it will still, as he says, be undone in the end. God, God seeks what has been driven away. God has made it that way precisely so that you wouldn't give your life to getting the most for yourself out of this life. God has made it that way so you would stop worshiping this life and start worshiping him. He's the one who's sovereign, not you. He is the master of your fate, the captain of your soul. He is the one who will determine what gain or profit you will obtain from this life, not you. And so what Solomon's saying is forget about what you can get for yourself, what adventures or experiences or possessions or accomplishments you can obtain for yourself from this life and instead consider the sovereign work of God so that you would learn to commit your life to him. And this, this is precisely where Ecclesiastes leads us to a joyful life. Because until, until we come to terms with the absolute sovereignty of God uh, and the absolute futility of gaining something for ourselves from this life, what we'll do is we'll continue chasing after the wind, whether that wind is, like we saw last week, whether it's money or pleasure or adventures or adrenaline or romance or relationships or transcendent experiences or fame or power or sex or whatever people believe, that's, that's the road that's going to give them satisfaction. Uh, until we learn to stop chasing after the wind and stand before God, the truth is the fear of missing out will always catch up to us because in this temporal life, we're always going to be missing out. This life can't satisfy our souls. But when we come to terms then with the sovereignty of God and realize our lives are in his hands and the meaning and purpose of our lives is his to determine, that's when we can receive our life, whether it's long or short, whether it's full or seemingly empty, whether we got what we wanted or didn't, then we can receive our life as a gift that doesn't need to justify its existence. It doesn't need to explain why it's alive, but can instead be lived to God's glory. And that's a radically different life than YOLO proclaims, and, and it's a radically freeing life. Solomon says, be joyful and do good. Enjoy the short years of your misty, foggy life. Drink a cold beer. Enjoy life with your wife. Laugh with your children. Weep with those who weep as well. And why? Because God is God and you are not. Because you don't need to justify your existence. You don't need to explain why your life was worth living. That's God's job. Leave that to him. So stop trying to get everything you can and start to worship God with thanksgiving. There's one more aspect to this that Solomon brings out towards the end of this chapter, and it's worth our attention uh, in verses 16 to, to 22. When people live under the myth of human autonomy, that is, under the idea that, that it's up to you to get what you can for yourself, when we live under that lie, we end up becoming profoundly cruel and wicked people. 
And think about how cruel uh, and careless uh, we can be towards the lives of others uh, when we're consumed with getting the most for ourselves. If you're going to get the most for yourself, you will inevitably do it at the cost of others. And when we fail to live with a recognition of our Creator and we build our lives around building our own empire, we, we very quickly find ourselves oppressing and abusing others. Uh, Solomon recognizes one thing leads to the other. He says in verse 16, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Now, whether it's the businessman doing what he can to reach the top floor of the building, uh, cheating and defrauding his way to get there, or whether it's the cartel boss uh, killing his rivals or their families uh, to keep his place at the top, or, or the dictator fighting off all perceived enemies to, to hold his place, or the tourists, uh, like many of us experience during the summer, fighting for the best spot on the beach. Whatever it is, if you're getting the most for yourself, you'll find yourself doing it at the cost of others. And it leads to a life of selfishness, abuse, injustice, and cruelty. And that's what Solomon sees when he looks out on this world. Uh, Solomon looks at these people in positions of power uh, and sees them perverting justice. And then he, he thinks again about the, the times and seasons of, of our lives, and he realizes if God has a, determined a season for everything, that means there's going to be a season for justice as well, uh, for justice against people who do live their lives this way. Uh, God will judge, he says, the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. So here's the thing. Man, uh, in his futile desire to be autonomous, he's not only chasing after the wind, a, a pipe dream, something he's never going to get, he's also storing up for himself wrath for the day of judgment. And that too remains firmly in the hand of God. That too is a season that will come from God. Now with that, with that said, uh, we may be wondering, well, what, what role do verses 18 to 22 play in all this? They seem like uh, strange Verses and it, and it almost sounds, at least at first glance, like Solomon is suddenly questioning, is there even life after death? Uh, like he's questioning the very thing that he just asserted uh, in, in the, the verses before. But I don't think that's what Solomon is doing. Uh, instead, uh, Solomon is now speaking, as it were, directly to uh, these, these human nations, the world of human autonomy. And what he's doing is he's confronting the, the pretensions and the assumptions of man. Man determined that man can figure out his seasons for his life. Uh, man will even go to the extent of saying, here's what happens after death. We, we just know. And Solomon is saying, you don't know. You don't know what happens after death. Man, uh, limited to his perspective under the sun, has no idea what happens after death. It's one of the features of, of human autonomy, not only chasing after the wind uh, and a determination to get to the top or get something out of this life, uh, but, but human autonomy also comes with human pride, human wisdom, and human religion. Uh, and so human beings in rebellion against God not only uh, abuse this life, but they also invent every manner of, uh, of belief system and philosophy and religion about what they suppose happens after this life. And that's what Solomon is confronting here. Uh, we should uh, bear in mind uh, 
some of the religions and customs of the world that Solomon is inhabiting as he looks out at the surrounding uh, nations, uh, nations like Egypt or Tyre, uh, the, and also the later empires that would arise there in the east, each with their own philosophy, their own complex, intricate belief about what happens uh, to the human soul after this life. And all of these, these empires, they were not only marked by that, that pursuit of riches, that pursuit of getting to the top, but also wherever you see that, you see a corresponding uh, proud human belief about what we suppose happens after this life. And Solomon realizes both of those are complete delusions. Not only will you not find what you're looking for in this life, but you have no idea from your perspective, under the sun, limited to, to what you can see, you have no idea what happens after this life. Man cannot see that. Uh, uh, and so as he looks over at these cultures, uh, he, he wonders, why so much religion? Why so much presumption? Because what do we even know under the sun? As far as we can tell, under the sun, if we're saying we're not listening to God's revelation, we're going to just presume what we can know. As far as we can tell, we're no different from animals. We both go to the dirt when all is said and done. We know nothing in ourselves. And so Solomon's attacking the presumptions of, of human pride that underlie uh, the the way that we live uh, our lives in pursuit of, uh, of riches, wealth, and power. And the truth is, apart from God's words speaking into our lives, we know absolutely nothing. Uh, humility uh, and honesty uh, would compel us to, to recognize we cannot know anything at all about life after death or, or the immortality of, of the soul, except if God should show that to us. We are creatures. We are not gods. And really, if you think about it, such a contemporary message, isn't it, in our day as well? You know, today, after the wave of, po uh, of, of modernism uh, that marked the last century, we're, we're now in, in the era of what's called postmodernism. Uh, and, and here in, in our postmodern culture, religion and, and spirituality have actually made somewhat of a comeback. Uh, so now everywhere you go, you, you meet people who call themselves spiritual people, uh, religious people. Uh, and they have all sorts of bizarre notions about what they suppose happens to the human soul uh, after death. Maybe it reunites with the universe or it advances to some higher state or it re reincarnates in some better form or turns into a tree or, or whatever. Uh, and this is the kind of thing that Solomon is aiming his criticism against. What do you know, man, about life after death? What do any of us know? If we're going by what we see here under the sun, uh, what we can observe, we don't know nothing. That is way above our pay grade. We don't have a clue what comes after this life. The only hope that we could have for knowledge of, of life after death is if it should come from God's revelation. Until you reckon with the living God, you have no ground to stand on whatsoever. You have no basis whatsoever to claim some belief in the immortality of the soul. And so Solomon lands again then on the same conclusion, stop chasing the wind. Stop resisting the work of God. Stop trying to straighten what God has made crooked or count what God has kept lacking. Instead, surrender to the sovereign Lord of your life. 
Verse 22 again, There's nothing better for a man that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? We come back to the same conclusion. Our lives and the seasons that mark them and everything that will come after them are are given to us by God. God alone determines them and God alone knows what he will make of them. And therefore, it's for that reason he says there's nothing better for us to do than to receive this life under the humble fear of God to receive this life as a gift from God, to enjoy it while entrusting ourselves to him. And you know, that's true also for us as, as Christians. We might say, yeah, but we know a lot more now than, than Solomon did now that Christ has come, uh, now that God has revealed himself. And that's true, we do. We know a lot more now than Solomon did. That's why the New Testament often speaks of the mysteries of God, that which was formerly hidden, now being revealed in Christ. Uh, We have the privilege of seeing a a larger piece of the tapestry now, uh, of seeing more of what God is doing. We can see how God in the past was preparing the stage for Christ and how God in the future will bring all things together to completion in Christ. So we do have more cause for rejoicing now and understanding now than Solomon did. But we shouldn't therefore ignore what Solomon is saying because it still remains largely true. We don't see the whole tapestry. We don't see all that God is doing. Uh, Even though we might know more about God's purposes, we still see, as Paul says, we see through a veil. We don't know what eternity will be. We don't know what tomorrow might bring. God still remains sovereign, and God still calls us to humble ourselves before him. It's the message that Paul preached at Athens as well, as he speaks to these religious people and makes it clear to them, you don't, you don't even know the God that you worship, and the God, the true God, is calling you to repentance. He's calling you to surrender to him. And so our times and our seasons are still, even for us as Christians, we want to recognize they're determined by God. And if we've learned anything at all from the gospel, it's that the life that Solomon is confronting, chasing after the wind, chasing after our pleasures, the life that marks most of human existence, that's the very life that Christ came to save us from. It's what what man has been doing ever since the fall into sin, and it's what Christ came to deliver us from. Uh, It's what the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 17. He says, Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited by your forefathers. And you were ransomed not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. That's what Christ came to to save you from. Christ didn't save us so that we can now go back, uh, now that we're saved, now that we know we're going to heaven, so we can now spend the rest of our lives on earth chasing after the same empty pursuits, driven by the same envy and the same selfishness, leading us to the same cruelty and the same oppression that we see from the world around us. No, Christ saved us so that we could live our lives today in the fear of God and come to know there the joy that only the fear of God can ever give. So the message is the same. Because God is sovereign, and because by grace you've now been brought near to the God who's sovereign, therefore surrender your lives to him, and only then will you, will you know what it means to enjoy your lives. Because God is God, and we get to know him not only as God, but as 
Father, that means we get to enjoy this life with its joys and trials. We get to laugh in the times that God gives us to laugh and weep in the times God gives us to, to weep and receive all of these seasons, though we may not know what God is doing with them, we get to receive all of them as a gift from our God and Father, the one who gives them for our good. He will remain with us and he will make sense of our service and our lives at the end. So don't live a life for yourself. Don't fall for the lie of YOLO if the conclusion of YOLO is that you should just go ahead and get what you can for yourself. Instead, entrust your life and its seasons and what comes after this life to the God who rules over us and spend your life serving him in thanksgiving. I'll close with the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen.